now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? This is the Force 5 Podcast, and I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. If this is your first time here, welcome. This is a show that challenges my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we reveal our picks on air. One of the coolest aspects of Force 5 is that almost anybody can be on the show. You don't need to be a cinephile, you just need to love some movies, and that means you don't always have to be a filmmaker or a podcaster that's on the show. I've also found that people from other industries are really open to being on the show because, frankly, they're tired of the same old interview formats, answering the same questions over and over again while promoting things. So I've reached out to a lot of my favorite artists in other fields over the past couple of years, and rappers in particular have been super responsive. I've had Lewis Logic, Mickey Fax, Wordsworth, Sam LaChow, rapper Big Pooh, probably others that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. And now, today, I've got one of the most talented, smoothest rappers out there, one of my favorites, A1. A1 chose a topic that was extremely tough to narrow down, top five Pixar films. Before we get to our list, I want you to try, just try to make your own top five for Pixar films so you can see how hard this topic really was. And it's not hard to get five. It's hard to narrow that list down to five. And uh, I can honestly say we both had a lot of fun with this list. We both had some amazing selections when the lists were finished. So uh, please stay tuned for that. I think you'll, you'll find a lot to like there. The last show featured Bruce Perky from Cinematics as we talked top five mutated animal films. And I went out to the internet to tell us what we got wrong. Not in the top five, did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. <laughs> I can't believe. Who, who made that list? Who made that? That's blasphemous. Don't look at me. That's blasphemous. Over on the Cinematics Facebook page, Diana Vandekamp chimed in, said Sharktopus, and uh, Melisandre Snow also seconded that one. I haven't seen that, so maybe I'll have to check that out. Matonio said, The Rock's Rampage is fun trash, and it's all about mutated animals who, spoiler alert, go on a rampage. Mitch Burns says, Relic, because the book is so good. Jack Fitzpatrick said, One of my honorable mentions, Deep Blue Sea. Samuel L. Jackson sure got the short end of the stick on that one. And in other corners of the internet, Simon Walker said Lake Placid. Dave Leckel said The Prophecy, which was on Bruce's list. He also said Arachnid, Mosquito, Skeeters, Piranha, the original, Man's Best Friend, The Hive, Food of the Gods. I haven't seen that. Tony Overson said The Bay. Marcus Ravalette said, what about the Anaconda series? Uh, I don't know if they were mutated. I think they were just big, but it's been a long time since I've seen those. Daz Beal said Blood Surf. Craig Cayley's said Stung, Ticks, and Mosquito. And finally, Shane Liddicote added Razorback. If you want to get into the action, I asked this question on Facebook, on the Cinematics Facebook page. I ask it on Twitter. I ask it on Instagram. So let us know what we missed, and your comment might make the next show. Okay, stuff I watched this week. Over on the Patreon feed, you're going to have a couple of exclusive reviews. I'm going to have an exclusive review for 2019's Villains. I've got one for A Wounded Fawn that is up now, and I've got one coming for the brand new film Sick from 2023, now streaming on Peacock. But 
for you here on this show, I watched Showdown from 1993. From the director of Best of the Best and Best of the Best 2, Showdown. There's a place in this town where kids learn the wrong things. A place where they keep a vicious secret. A place controlled by people who profit from pain. It's a town where the kids provide the thrill of blood money. When you're a new kid in this town, you better make your first shot your best shot because you may not get another. Hi there, Kenneth. Around here, you learn the rules fast. The blonde, Julie, just forget about it, she's trouble. Why? Her boyfriend is Godzilla. He's just gonna think he is. The late 80s and early 90s were a boon for both martial arts films and violent school dramas. So first-time screenwriter Stuart Gibbs decided he would smash the two genres together, and Showdown is what popped out. From the back of the MVD Blu-ray, it reads, This classic martial arts blockbuster from the director of Best of the Best features an all-star cast that includes Christine Taylor from The Wedding Singer, Patrick Kilpatrick from Death Warrant, James Liu from Best of the Best, and Brian James from Blade Runner in the movie that proves there's not a problem in the world that a good roundhouse kick to the face can't solve. Well, that doesn't actually tell you anything about the film, so let me give you the rundown on what this film is all about. We get this cold open as we have two cops go to break up a house party that's getting out of control because two violent brothers are getting handsy and breaking bottles on people's heads, you know, that kind of stuff. And one of the cops, played by Tybo's best friend Billy Blanks, accidentally kills one of the brothers while defending himself, so he hangs up his badge and boots in favor of a future unknown. We then cut to a high school as uh, student Ken Marks is dropped off for his first day at his new school. He and his mother have moved to town because she lost her job and needed to go where the work was, which seems a little odd considering later we find out that she's just a waitress at a diner. And it feels like those jobs are kind of anywhere, but hey, we got a movie to make here. Now, Ken immediately feels unwelcome because the entire school starts looking at him like he's got a second head growing out of his shoulders. He's just a normal, regular-looking kid, although he does look like he's about 26 years old, so maybe that's it. On his way into class, he dodges a couple of skateboarders, brushes past a group of burnouts wearing shirts that say, Kill yourself, while one of them is literally polishing a fucking handgun on the steps of the school. And he runs into the vice principal named Kowalski, who asks Ken, point blank, Do you like sex? The inside of the school isn't much better. It's like an all-white version of Michelle Pfeiffer's Dangerous Minds classroom. There's a guy sharpening his pencil with a straight razor, another brandishing a bright yellow slingshot. There's a drawing of a face on the blackboard that says, Potato, bye-bye Dan, which I can only think has to be some kind of inside joke between the set decorators. And it's here in this classroom that we're introduced to Ken's eventual rivals, Tom, Rob, and Gina, a few stereotypical ne'er-do-wells who just try to be as uncouth as possible at every turn. As Ken walks in, he sits in the vacant desk behind Julie, played by the radiant Christine Taylor, and is quickly told to steer clear of her because she's Tom's girlfriend, and anyone who talks to her has their face rearranged by the troublemaking trio. He's warned by our final puzzle piece, Mike, the typical oddball geek friend who knows everything about the ins and outs of the school and looks like a Goodwill clearance rack was dumped on top of him and a few articles of clothing just kind of ended up sticking on his body. 
We almost immediately learn that Ken does not follow advice because he tries to talk to Julie, so Tom and his gang touch him up a bit and tell him to stay away. And Ken still doesn't follow directions, and he does it again the next day. And this time, he's saved from an ass-kicking by the janitor. And hey, you know what? It's none other than Billy Blanks. Never saw it coming. He went from a man cleaning up the streets to cleaning up the cafeteria, seemingly haunted by the fact that his fists are lethal weapons. In one final setup twist, we learn that Tom and his gang are part of a brutal karate dojo led by Sensei Lee, who just so happens to be the surviving brother from the first scene of the film. Obviously, this sets up some interesting conflicts for the rest of the movie, as it appears we'll be working toward both a teacher versus teacher and pupil versus pupil showdown during the climax. This movie is literally a Karate Kid remake, with Ken playing the role of Daniel and Billy Blanks in the Mr. Miyagi role. Ken Scott, who plays Ken, is not a great actor. This was his first big shot at a lead role after playing talkative foot number two in 1990's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then being upgraded to the role of Raphael in the sequel. But aside from a few B-movies after this, like Star Hunter and the pretty entertaining Cynthia Rothrock film Sworn to Justice in 1996, he just kind of disappeared. In my opinion, Billy Blanks has always been a terrible actor and comes off more as an alien trying to appear like a human than an actual human being in his films, and unfortunately, we don't get to see many of his fight moves here. With all this martial arts talent, the amount of fight scenes are pretty scant, and more importantly, and more disappointing, the quality of those fight scenes are severely lacking. They feel very slow, very choreographed, and lack the impact that many martial arts films provide. The rest of the cast is serviceable. Patrick Kilpatrick chews the screen as Lee the evil sensei. John Asher is amusing as the doofy sidekick. Christine Taylor has little to do, but obviously looks great doing it. And the fantastic character actor Brian James is kind of wasted as the vice principal who seems like he thinks he's running a tight ship, but clearly isn't. The Blu-ray I watched was, like I mentioned, from MVD. The picture looks pretty good, all things considered. There's uh, considerable print grain which comes through in the dark moments, particularly those in Billy's basement janitor hangout spot, but it was never distracting. The audio is great as well. It's got two separate mixes here, a 5.1 and a 2 channel. In terms of special features, it's actually pretty packed for a film like this. There's a feature-length making-of documentary that clocks in at just over an hour and a half, plus a featurette detailing the fight choreography that runs over 45 minutes. There's also a few interviews and a small poster in the case. In terms of a recommendation, I can't wholeheartedly recommend this, but if you love Karate Kid and you want to see more of it, I mean, this is basically a remake. The most amusing things in this movie are happening in the background. The underground fight scene full of soccer moms by day, carnage fans by night, pumping their fists full of wagered money into the sky as teenagers slowly trade sweep kicks. The house party extras, half dressed like they just left the prom, the other half dressed like they just left the set of Saved by the Bell, and the school. Oh, the school. There are so many funny things happening in the background at the school, like the guy making out with a girl while covering her with his trench coat, a kid randomly running around snapping photos of people, kids, including the main characters who are clearly 25 to 30 years old posing as students, and 80-yard teacher lines thrown in and passing like, put away that knife, and no guns in class, please. For martial arts films fans, there's just not enough fighting to make this seem worthwhile, and the fighting that is present feels slow and sloppy. But again, if you like The Karate Kid and you want to see more of it, Showdown from 1993 will certainly fit the bill, and the disc is really packed with uh, extra material. So if that sounds like your bag, go and pick this up. Speaking of getting picked up, did somebody in your family get pinched? Is your son in the slammer, the big house, the clink? Well, that's bad news. 
But I've got good news in this difficult time, and that's today's sponsor, Chico's Bail Bonds. I just got into work, and my friend called. He was at the police station. He'd been arrested. Well, I was at work, I had meetings, you know, I didn't know what to do. But I remembered who to call. They explained the process, asked me a few questions, and then took care of the rest. They were very professional and very helpful. If you're in one of these situations, don't face it alone. You've got the San Fernando Valley's most trusted bail bonds company at your side. Morris Buttermaker and his team will be there every step of the way. He's going to get you out, and he's going to get you through. If you get busted, head into Chico's Bail Bonds. Don't tell him I sent you. I don't want my name associated with criminals. You're not going to get any type of discount codes. What's the matter with you? But this guy's going to get you out of jail. That's Chico's Bail Bonds in the San Fernando Valley. They also sponsor baseball teams, which is cool. All right, speaking of cool, let's get to A1 and some Pixar movies. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you probably know I'm a huge hip-hop fan. And I don't know if I've discussed it, but I find a lot of modern hip-hop pretty hard to get into. But one artist that I cannot get enough of is my guest tonight, A1. In addition to sharing the stage with many of rap's great artists, including past Force 5 guest rapper Big Pooh as part of Little Brother, he owns Don't Sleep Records with producer and frequent collaborator Phonics. A1, how are you tonight, my friend? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm honored to have you on. Like I said, uh, I'm a big fan. For those who are not familiar with your music, uh, why don't you kind of like explain, I guess, a little bit about your style and maybe where you'd recommend somebody to start? with your with your discography because you have so much music out there sure sure um that that's a great place to start <laughs> just describing it so i would describe my sound um and what we create is uh something that spotify describes it as which is jazz rap it's a uh, pretty easy on the ears really chill melodic um and it has a lot of conscious undertones and i think that a great place for someone to probably start with my music is um an album we put out in 2018, which is called The Actual Proof. Um, I think that that's a great place. That album is easy on the ears. It's easy to get into. And I think that it's one of the best representations of what you get when you get a Don't Sleep Records record. Yeah, I'd agree. That's a great place to start. And you can see just one listen to that record. You're going to see all kinds of your influence. I know that you were born in New York and, and spent a lot of time in New York. Guessing some of your influences are like Nas, Big Daddy Kane, Big L. Yes, absolutely. Um, Those are definitely uh, my influences. And I just draw a lot of inspiration from, you know, my time in the city when I was younger, as well as you know, just coming up around music and um, my life in Virginia. Um, it's a hub of music producers and um, unique sounds. Uh, Virginia has also has a rich history in um, music production, as well as a rich history that goes all the way back through jazz. So, um, you know, it's it's like I had the perfect life in the sense of being at the right place at the right time all of the time. Yeah, it's uh, it shows. It shows in the music. I was introduced to your stuff back in 2013. There was like a best of 
2013 underground hip hop list and I saw your record with Phonics on there, Return to the Golden Era, you hear a lot of stuff about, you know, the golden era of hip hop. So I'm like, okay, I got to check this out. First song I ever listened to was Champagne Laced. And obviously it's got the Jay-Z sample on there, the Brandy Wells sample that Jay-Z flipped. He's my favorite rapper of all time. So ears perked up there. Second song, Forever 3, which introduced me to Def Flow and your wife, Tip the Gift. I was sold. That's got the Joe sample uh, sample on there. That's also used in like, I mean, Tupac's Dear Mama is probably the most famous one. But Lewis Logic's Idiot Gear is another song that uses that that sample. And it's just like fell in love right there and haven't stopped listening. You've worked with some amazing producers. You've got some amazing producers on the roster. If this is your first time hearing of A1, go listen to the music. Um, we're going to have links in the show notes for all this stuff. You just recently had an album come out. You've got a vinyl that we need people to order. This is Infinite Wisdom. It's you and uh, producer Soul Dope 95 on that one, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. And um, wow, you really brought me back with the return of the golden era. And um, <laughs> it just dawned on me that that is 10 years ago. It doesn't seem that long ago. It's like, wow, that time really flew by. And I guess time flies when you're having a lot of fun. So wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, the, uh, the pandemic's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of made time this kind of weird infinite loop for everybody over the last couple of years and everything seems so close yet so far away but yeah it, it's hard to believe that i first started listening to your music about 10 years ago too wow it, and you know it's it's odd because i've had like two two different um legs of my career you know like i started way back in 2006 actually um yeah that was my first like recorded um a song that people can go out and go buy a CD and I was on the record and that was um with cannabis uh hip hop for sale and that doesn't even seem that long ago and you know I had an album with the company in 2008 Goon Tracks and then I did some work with a friend of mine Chameleon Beats throughout the early 2010s and just kind of met Phonics in 13 and the rest is history. We, we just haven't stopped, man. So, um, it's just, you just really put it in perspective for me how long I've been doing this. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. But, um, yes, definitely go out and, um, order the new album, Infinite Wisdom. If you haven't already pre-ordered, it's no longer a pre-order. We actually, have the records right on the way. We have shipping and tracking. So put in your order if you didn't get it because they will sell out like everything else does. If you had to tell people to listen to one song off Infinite Wisdom, which one would you choose? I know this has got to be hard. Uh, it, it is, but it's not that hard because um, I will tell you that one of my favorite beats on that album is Union with um, my wife, Tiff the Gift. Um, and it was easily one of my favorite beats. I remember hearing it, um, because so dope, he had put it on his Instagram and I told him to take it down, <laughs> send it to me. And, um, I was writing to it and Tiff heard it and she said that she wanted to get on it. And, you know, it was nothing that I could do about it. Then she basically just said, all right, uh, I, I have a verse on this. And that's how that track came to be. So that's probably one of my favorite records because it wasn't one he initially sent. It was one that I just happened to hear. 
Union is a great track. I would also second uh, Union. And then I'd say Have You Guessin' is another one that I just, I love that track with uh, God King Preach. Yes, yes. And thank you. That was another very obscure one. I I believe that was another Instagram record that he didn't instantly send me. That was something that I heard. And um, yep, in fact, it was. And he sent it to me, and that was probably one of the last tracks that we actually did for the album that we recorded um, was Have You Guessing, because it was just random, and it it fits so well. And um, that one is one of my favorites, too, so I would have to agree with you on that. Yeah, that is just so different, the way that it rolls, even the cadence that I decided to... um, you know, rapping on that was a little bit different from the rest of the records on the album. So um, I like how unique that song is. And God King Preach, he just did his thing. Shouts out to yeah. him, Indigo Clan, Anti-Lily. Yeah, those those are my people. All the tracks are good. And uh, that's kind of like a, a good segue into our topic tonight, which is Pixar, in that all Pixar movies are good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. it's so tough. It's so tough to pick a, uh, my favorite Pixar movies. What's your what's your relationship with Pixar movies? Like what what was the inspiration for the topic? Um that is ba- I owe that to my children and um my younger brothers. My younger brothers are adults now. <laughs> um very much <laughs> so. It's actually um one of my brothers' birthday today, my brother Donique. Um, so happy birthday to him. And tomorrow is my brother's Bilal birthday. So happy birthday to him. Um, yes. Yeah, so they were born on January 10th and 11th. And I'm the oldest. I am 10 years older than them and 13 years older than, um, Bilal respectively. So obviously they wanted to watch different things than I did growing up. And so I was introduced to Pixar because I had younger siblings and I found the film's phenomenal. I mean, just really phenomenal. The animation was different than anything that I've ever saw in my life. And I was always a fan of cartoons, so it was really easy to digest. And the story arcs felt more like films for adults. They felt like films for everybody. They didn't feel like just animated films for kids that were really corny and had corny dialogue, so forth and so on. Or, you know, they stuck with the same type of uh, moral compass type stories that we would typically get. With Pixar films, you could laugh, you could cry, you, you're excited, you know, you get upset. It, it, they just do such a good job of um, making something for everybody. So that studio is probably one of the best to exist in, in this realm in terms of animation. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. Now you have you have kids now. Yes. Uh, how old are your kids? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna eight, I'm gonna date myself here, <laughs> but um, I have my oldest son. He's 21. Um, the middle son, middle child, is 16. He'll be 17 in March, and the youngest is three. And I know that the listeners are like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, why did they do that? But yeah, she's um, the youngest jazz. She's the light of my life, the light of all, all our lives um, here. So it's a pleasure having her around. But everyone likes Pixar. Um, started with Finding Nemo with the oldest, Breon. Um, and I watched that movie. I, 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 
I watched it so much that, <laughs> that it really it really started to kind of irritate me how much he wanted to watch it, but I found myself enjoying it every time we watched it, no matter how many times we watch it, because you could see so much that the illustrators, the animators put in there that you just can't unpack with one time when you watch the film. Um, so you always see something new with a Pixar film, something in the background, little Easter eggs and nuggets that are just for those when you're watching at that particular time, you, you happen to see it and you're like, I didn't even know this was there. That's amazing. So started with Finding Nemo. Um, then with my middle son, that was, um, Toy Story. Um, and I would say, we he started probably Toy Story two, um, because obviously Toy Story one is a lot older than he is. But Toy Story two, Toy Story three, were some of his favorite films. Um, Buzz Lightyear is a favorite around here. Um, even with Jazz, because Lightyear is out now, and yeah, it's one of it's one of her favorites. So this is like multi generational in our family, our relationship to Pixar and how. Um, impactful has been in the household and how much the kids enjoy it and i've just enjoyed it completely um you know since i've been watching that's important as as a parent i mean i have a four-year-old so i'm in this a similar boat with you with your three-year-old they watch the same movie over and over and over again and uh some of the things that my kid watches great on me but pixar movies never do because like you said there's something for everybody there's something in every frame that you can look to and see little easter eggs and little touches that they put in there there's there's nothing to get tired of in pixar movies so i'm really excited to discuss this with you i'm surprised that it's taken us two and a half years to have somebody pick top five pixar movies and i know there's a lot of people right now kicking themselves like i wish i, I wish i would have come up with that <laughs> or i wish i had that on the show when i was on let's get into some listing here a1, you ready to get to our top five Pixar movies? Absolutely. How many of these things do you think we're going to match up on? Um, that's, that's one that I honestly don't know, but maybe, <laughs> maybe a couple because I think that for my top five, I think that they're probably everybody's top five, maybe, but I could be mm. wrong. It just, I, you know, it just, I guess it depends on the day. And this was very hard for me, by the way. This was extremely difficult. Um, yeah. And I know some people are going to probably be mad at me about my picks, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, you're not lying. I have revised my list today probably like five different times. <laughs> uh, I have had at least five different top five lists for this. I, t I asked my wife because my wife's a huge Pixar, huge Disney fan. And she's like, I, I can't even give you a five. I can't give you a five. I, guess, I, I can't narrow it down. And I'm like, well, I guess that's why A1's on the show and you're not on this episode. <laughs> uh, all right, A1, let's get into this. I'm going to hit you with my number five here. Uh, my number five is one that is probably going to be surprising to a lot of people. But I love small scale films, those films with like lower stakes. It's not like the world's going to end. It's why I'm drawn to films like Logan. After so many incredible, huge adventures, Pixar put out in 2021 a film called Luca. We do not go anywhere near the surface. 
Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. Air! <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Today. Mm -hmm. Which feels like the smallest Pixar movie in terms of scale, but it doesn't make it any less impressive. I love this film. It's about a friendship that blossoms between three kids in this little town in Italy, Luca, Alberto, and Julia. And they're trying to uh, win this multi-part race that this dude named Ercole, who's like the neighborhood bully, he always seems to win because he's cheating. He has like all the kids wrapped around his finger. There's one main challenge for these kids trying to beat him in this race. It's that the boys turn into sea monsters when they get wet, and the town absolutely hates sea monsters. Film looks beautiful. Uh, it's super colorful. The little Italian town that they made is, is so beautifully created. And the kids have some really funny, really touching moments together. Well, Luca's like, he's trying to figure out how to live on land because his parents have always stopped him from going on land because they know what happens when you get out of the water, and including like a really funny scene where these kids are trying to build this Vespa scooter out of scraps. <laughs> the It's got a really memorable villain. And um, the dad, so Julia's dad, Massimo, Massimo he's a uh, super memorable, like one-armed fisherman who becomes a father figure to one of the boys. And he's like, one of these bit characters in the movie, but he leaves such a lasting impression on you. He's just he, he's got a great look and a great personality. Between this and Soul, I think that Pixar has done some amazing work musically, and it's I can't even say like which movie I like more in terms of music, but I can say that I love the music in this film. At its core, Luca is this touching story about being true to yourself, loving who you are, and following your dreams. And as many times as my kid watches it, I will watch it every single time with him. That's my number five, Luca. Have you seen this one? Absolutely. It's funny that um, you you mentioned Luca first because that was one of my honorable mentions. I was really all right. I was really torn with Luca because it is a beautiful film. It's shot beautifully. Um, it looks really good. I mean, if you it, it, when you have it up on the screen. Um, it's like watching it at night in just complete darkness so you could just get lost in the movie is shot so beautiful. I mean, I, I, I definitely love the visual representation that they had and the, the small details. Like, you know, the villain, he, he's funny wearing the scarf and everything. So <laughs> yeah. Italian, like it, it was it's amazing film. So um, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that you like it as well. And this is that that's one that was not on my list until like maybe an hour ago. I was like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I got to get Luke on there. What am I going to kick off? Oh, it was tough. Uh, A1, what do you got at number five? Uh, this is where people are going to be mad at me, but I have The Incredibles um, at number five for me. On November 5th, the creators of Finding Nemo reveal a side of superheroes you've never seen before. Maybe just a salad. Disney presents a Pixar film, The Incredibles, rated PG. Um, I love The Incredibles. It should it, it for most for some people, I think for a lot of people it could be number 1. Um yeah. but for me, I felt like the storyline was great. 
Um, it was a, a lot of comedy in it. You know, it wasn't like too sad. It was like the hero villain type of arc, you know, um, has been superheroes trying to, you know, reconnect and, and, and rekindle their past, the crime fighting, um, that like DC comic slapstick type of, you know, corny villain. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, for me, it was number five because the, again, it's original, but we've seen that. And that's just because of me personally. I watch a ton of escapism type movies like superhero movies. I'm all in the MCU and everything. All of the, you know, DC films and Dark Knights. And I've been watching Batman since it was like, <laughs> pow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We almost did Marvel movies. That was the first topic you, you brought up to me. Correct. So for me... It wasn't something that I haven't seen before. What I didn't see before was the styling. Um, this, sure. the Incredibles is styled incredibly well. Um, there's a lot of nods to mid-century design. Um, you know, timeless furniture pieces. I mean, timeless nostalgic futurism in the vehicles and the cars. I mean, it's, it's perfect in that, in that sense. Um, if they weren't superheroes, it'll probably be my number one. But, you know, this is America and America is built off Superman. So Mr. Incredible is Superman with a family. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. who's was retired and kind of got kicked back into crime fighting. You know, <laughs> he was listening to the radio with Frozone, botching, you know, uh, the fully <laughs> it, it, incredible movie. But that, that would be my number five just f- just only because of the story arc not being as original as a film like Luca. Sure, sure. And for people maybe that didn't grow up with the Batman films, this probably would have been a little bit more original because The Incredibles came out at a time before Marvel blew up. You know, we would have a superhero movie here and there, Batman in 89, obviously. Like, there were were hero movies up until that point, but... Um, this kind of came out before that big explosion of superhero movies. If you watch it now, it's yeah, it's gonna feel like old hat. The Incredibles is one that uh, was on my list at one point, and now is in my honorable mentions. So I'm glad that you brought it up. <laughs> oh boy, people yeah. are gonna be cringing at this. How is the Incredibles? <laughs> Well, that, you know what? I'm going to tee people up at the beginning of this episode. Like, I need you to sit down and I need you to come up with your top five Pixar movies before you listen to this episode. And you're going to know how painful it was for me and AO1 to try and come up with five. It's just, it's tough. It's hard. It is. It really is. <laughs> All right. Number four for me. Uh, this is one that you have mentioned already. So I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be on your list somewhere. And if it is on your list, we can talk about it at the same time. Um, but this is 2003's Finding Nemo. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Hello, my name is Bruce. Hi, Bruce. But the one they're looking for... I gotta find my son Nemo! He's on land. Fish aren't meant to be in a box, kid. It does things to you. <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents... <laughs> Something's wrong with you. A Pixar Animation Studios film. Find a happy place, find a happy place. Finding Nemo. Oh, my stomach. Nice. G, now playing. Like you said, it's an amazing looking movie. It's unlike anything that I had ever seen when it came out. It follows the familiar, I guess, trope of parental trauma in kids films because it starts with a clownfish couple named Marlon and Coral 
they're like a happy family and then coral and almost all of her babies are killed by a barracuda like that's how this kid's film starts it starts heavy like a lot of pixar movies do and uh, then we flash forward to Marlon as an understandably extremely protective single father as he attempts to raise his only remaining son, Nemo, who has one slightly deformed fin. And when Nemo goes to school for the first time, he ventures out too far into the ocean. He's captured by a scuba diver. So Marlon and a forgetful blue tang named Dory go on an adventure to find him. It's an amazing, amazing cast in here. Like Albert Brooks as Marlon is just top-notch voice acting. Ellen DeGeneres is great as Dory. Plenty of small memorable roles too by like Willem Dafoe and Brad Garrett. Even Eric Bana plays the uh, the shark, which is amazing. Bruce. A1 as a parent, I know, I know that you can relate to this film because I want to be that dad who lets my kid explore and understand risk by suffering the consequences of those risks when it comes to him like going to the park and and just like climbing on stuff and I have this innate need to keep my kids safe and there are so many moments when I just have to like really grip my teeth and just say like I gotta I gotta let this kid make his own mistakes I gotta let this kid be unsafe once in a while I gotta let this kid take risks yeah um I'm sure you have that same that same mentality with yours. Oh, I'm I'm a total helicopter parent, and <laughs> yeah. my wife has to tell me to chill a lot of times. So I completely identify with with this film and everything that it stands for. And furthermore, I think the idea of what great lengths a father would go through for their children. You know, to show and cast a dad in that light, a single dad at that, it was just, it was out of the box thinking. It was very um, in line with the changing of times. And I think that it was a bit ahead of this time because while we're talking about it now and it seems like, you know, you could think about it like, oh, yeah, okay. What's so revolutionary about that? Well, in 2003, a children's movie about a single dad, and like you said, it was heavy in the beginning where they lose all the children to the Barracuda except for one, uh, Nemo having a deformity. He was different. Um, all these things were very um, out-of-the-box topics at the time, and I think that um, it was a, a way that Pixar ushered in a uh, age of inclusion. And, um, yeah. you know, that is amazing, amazing choice, amazing choice. Yeah, this film was uh, well received, nominated for four Oscars. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Sound Editing. And it did not win those three, but it did win Best Animated Feature. This is back when they only had like three animated features in that category. It beat Brother Bear from Disney and the Triplets of Belleville for Best Animated Feature. Finding Nemo. Look, if you haven't seen Finding Nemo, just pause now and go watch Finding Nemo because it's amazing. Absolutely. Number four for me is um, a different film. It, it, I One of my favorites, um, one that I watch still to this day. Um, I recently introduced my daughter to it, and that is Up. On May 29th. Hi there. <laughs> the wait is up. With my GPS, we'll never be lost. Oops. The course is set. Yes. Hey. Hey. And Disney Pixar's. Oh boy. Oh boy. First 3D adventure. Let's go. Takes off. 
Squirrel! 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 Disney Pixar's Up-Rated BG. I hate squirrels! The 3D Adventure begins May 29th. I love you. It was uh, my one of my middle son's favorites. And um, there's nothing like watching Carl Fredrickson, you know, buck the system. <laughs> it, it's a film about aging, and it starts off beautiful with, uh, you know, this man, Carl Fredrickson, as a child watching one of his favorite superheroes, you know, adventures out there. And um, he meets his love of his life, you know, Ellie. And you think it's a boy. It's actually a little girl who's a tomboy and they have an adventure in life. But unfortunately, she can't have kids. And um, that's a, a, a I guess a, a dark spot in the film. Very sad. They show that, like them going to the doctor and everything. And they decide that they're going to save all of their money up to go on the biggest adventure that they possibly could, you know. Um, and what they end up doing is living their life. Things happen and they have to spend money. So they have to always go and tap into their fun and they get old. But the point is, is that they got old together. And that in itself was the adventure. Again, Pixar is heavy. Ellie dies. So, yeah. you know, Carl Fredrickson decides to take his house all the way to, you know, um, I forget the name of the place. Paradise Falls. Yeah, Paradise Falls. Exactly. <laughs> Paradise Falls. And he decides to do this with hot air balloons before the orderlies come and take him to... <laughs> Um, the nursing home, and I mean, yeah. and, and I mean, he was gangster. He was going to the nursing home because <laughs> he hit hit one of the guys in the head who was trying to, you know, um, talk him into selling his home because they wanted to build a new development. And you know, on the way, meeting Russell, a annoying Boy Scout, you know, <laughs> looking for snipes, and um, they go on this new adventure, and um, Carl realizes that. Ellie wanted him to be happy and find his own adventure. It was time for him to kind of do it on his own because he had been with her the entirety of his life. And um, he found a new friend in Russell. And I found that that was so amazing, you know, and the fact that they say never meet your idols, you know, and he meets his idol and it ends up being a villain, you know, and, um, Wow, it, it just amazing film. And this one, again, was one that was shot so incredible. A lot of space, a lot of blue skies and the colorful balloons. It's extremely colorful and vibrant. That's the best way that I can describe it. And, um, you know, everybody knows a Carl Fredrickson. Everybody has that grandparent, that grandpa that's hard on the outside, but you know, has that soft nuggety center, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. yeah, this this is one of my favorites, but it would be my number four. Um just because again it's it's up there, but um, you know, it's extremely long. <laughs> and yeah and everybody probably can't get into it, but I really love this one, you know, because it was so different. You have so many different um, narratives going on, love, adventures, ageism, you know, um, and, and different things like that. So I guess I was just in a place where I think that even though this was made for kids, this one was really made for adults. Um, 
but just because of the content and how heavy this one is. But great film. Everybody should see it at least once. It's a tearjerker. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. When you, you watch uh, Finding Nemo and it's like, oh, you can't get more heartbreaking than this intro. And then up hits and 10 minutes in, you're just like bawling on the couch because of that intro. It's just powerful storytelling. They get you to care about these characters so much in the span of like 10 minutes that by the time his wife dies, like it is, it's devastating. There's so much in here. Like you said, so much in here to relate to. Uh, I'm a homeowner, so I get like saving up for stuff and then you know shit happens with the house and now you got to put a new roof on and all that money goes away and then you want to save up for this vacation and then your fence in the backyard needs to be replaced and all that money goes away like i totally relate with that absolutely you know you mentioned how he he and ellie can't have kids and in the end he does become a father figure to a kid in a very untraditional way and and that's another thing that you know it was powerful to me he uh, didn't necessarily need to have a kid to have a kid, which was which was awesome. Right, right, right. All in perspective. I love it. Yep. I uh, I did not have this one on my list either. So I am really glad that we're getting like a, a cool diversity of Pixar films here. At number three, at number three, I've got 2017's Coco. From the bottom of the ocean to the depths of space, Disney and Pixar have taken you to every world except the next one. Welcome to the land of your ancestors. Oh, this Thanksgiving. You're all really out there. It's that living boy. It's not nice to stare at. Hey, Santa Maria. From the creators of Finding Dory and Inside Out. We're your family. I miss my nose. You gotta get home by sunrise. I'm turning into a skeleton. You have to loosen up. <laughs> Coming to theaters everywhere. T-shirts, bubbleheads. It's a celebration. I'm a big fan. Disney and Pixar present. Skeletons don't walk like that. It's how you walk. No, I don't. Stop it. Coco, Thanksgiving in 3D, rated PG. Coco is about family. It's about connecting with loved ones. It's about pursuing your dreams. And this is important to everybody, but I know that you probably like Coco too because it's all rooted in music. Like music shapes the film. Some of the characters are musicians. Some people want nothing to do with music, but it's all rooted in music. So Coco is about this 12-year-old kid named Miguel. He has dreams of becoming a musician, even though his family has banned music. And in order to enter a talent show, after his grandma smashes his guitar, he steals the guitar of a famous musician named Ernesto de la Cruz out of the mausoleum. He gets on stage and plays it, but unfortunately, when he plays the guitar, he realized that he is cursed because he stole this guitar, and now he's trapped in the land of the dead, and he must have a family blessing to return to the land of the living before sunrise, or he's going to be dead forever. This is an amazing film. It is beautiful. Just, I mean, this kind of a redundant saying it at this point because every Pixar movie is beautiful, but it's so colorful. Like the, um, the land of the dead scenes in this film are so detailed and so intricate and so colorful that it's just so fun to look at. Even if you have the sound off, it's so fun to look at. This is another one that has really great music. Remember me is a song that like, I'm always going to remember and it's got a great score too. Uh, Michael Giacchino, who also did the up score, did the score on this one and uh, just a beautiful score. My wife is Mexican and her culture is very important to her. She's an incredibly big Pixar fan, like I mentioned. 
And this was the first time that she had really seen her culture and traditions represented on screen in such an accurate way. Um, and it's it's all represented from the big cities to the smaller, dusty towns to the colorful, multi-layered characters. It's just kind of like a celebration of Mexican culture. And what an idea, too, right? The ofrendas, the, the fact that the dead aren't truly dead until nobody is left to remember them is something that's really powerful. And it makes you want to share those stories of your loved ones that you remember to your kids. Because if you don't and they don't share those stories, then that person may be forgotten forever. This was nominated for two Oscars. It won both. It won Best Animated Feature and uh, Best Original Song. So, yeah, number three, 2017's Coco for me. That is a great film. And I have the, um, I guess, the counterpart to that as my number three. Um, and it's, and that's Soul. I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club. And I swear the next thing I know, it's like this guy floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. And he took the rest of us with him. Streaming this Christmas on Disney Plus. Life is full of possibilities. You just need to know where to look. What do you want to be remembered for? Soul. Rated PG. Streaming December 25th. Soul was incredible, but it has a deeper um, meaning to me because um, my cousin actually wrote the screenplay. Oh, no shit. Yeah, my... um, grandmother's nephew kent powers wrote the screenplay for this and i knew about it and i said i can't believe that i love pixar and i actually have a family member you know like he's my second cousin my mom's first cousin um and he did this film and even though it's based on uh actual teachers based on someone else it had some arcs that i felt like could be relative to his life because my uncle Bubba, my, my grandmother's brother, he, he lost his dad pretty, pretty young. You know, um, he was younger than I am now when, um, my uncle passed away and he was into music, but not in the same sense. He actually drove tour buses. One of the people he drove for was Gladys Knight. So I remember my uncle, um, vividly, but Knowing that my cousin wrote this screenplay and went on to do amazing things other than film, you know, this always will have a special place in my heart. But the film itself was just amazing. You know, this is a jazz musician, Joe Gardner, and he realizes that as passionate as he is about jazz, he gets to the the climax of his life and, you know, he dies and he fights so hard to get back to doing what he loved to do only to realize that it wasn't so great. It's not the destination. It was the journey. And he vowed to himself to enjoy the journey and just enjoy life from a different perspective. And I think that the timing of the release, you know, it was released over the pandemic, which was kind of morbid timing but it was <laughs> yeah. but it was great timing because it made you truly think about purpose what are you doing you know i tell people all of the time so many people they chase money they chase things that they don't inherently love 
and find themselves constantly unsatisfied. Well, let, let, let me not say unsatisfied, but unfulfilled. You know, um, if you're doing something to make a bunch of money, you could do a million things to make a bunch of money, but you can only do one thing that's going to truly be fulfilling. And this film is a great expression of that, you know, find what actually fulfills you. And it might be just living. It might just be enjoying the moment. You know, it might be, you know, having a liberal arts degree of life, you know, where you just kind of get a little bit of everything. So, um, you know, this film is great in that way. And also the moral compass, you know, where Joe meets uh, this soul who no one can convert and make them, you know, go down to earth and actually live a life. You know what I mean? And he's like, well, life is great. You have to live, you know. And through the mistake where she actually, you know, takes his body and he becomes a cat and he's having this out of body experience watching someone else's soul enjoy life. He comes into the realization that he took life for granted when this soul, you know, realizes how incredible life on earth truly is. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I can't say enough about the concepts in this film. It's so heavy. It might not be for the smallest child. It might take, you know, a little kid, uh, you know, some time to actually grasp it. Might be for older kids. But this one was, was incredible to me. And, um, it's one of my favorite movies, period, just for what it stands for. And the fact that it, I felt like it was serendipity that, you know, I had a connection somehow to, you know, this, this film studio that I love so dearly. I did not know that, uh, yeah, that he was your cousin. That's, that's awesome. You mentioned the musical aspect of it. It's got a great soundtrack. Like I said earlier, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross did like the original score for it. It's brilliant. John Batiste did the jazz in here. It's amazing. And I agree with you. Like when it came out, I think it was like Christmas of 2020 that it came out. It was the perfect time for it to come out to like make you stop for a second and just be thankful that we're alive. It does have that important message that life is not about what you accomplish, but it's just simply about living. I think I said this in my review. Like I frequently think about this movie because, you know, I just for this podcast, for example, like. I'll do a bunch of shows and then I'll look at the numbers and stuff like that. And it's like, well, it's where I want it to be, or it could be higher. or This is pretty good, but not as good as I want it to be. And I have to stop sometimes and think like, I'm talking to A1 right now. Like this is, this is what it's about. Like it's about living. It's not just about hitting milestones, you know? So yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. You're great too kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a great movie. And thank you. This is, this is awesome. Um, okay, number two. We got two picks left here. We have not matched up on any of them yet. That's crazy. Um, but we'll see. We'll see in the top two here. At number two, I have one that is it just blew me away when I saw it. 2015's Inside Out. On June 19th. Here we go! What movie touches every emotion? Inside Out. Inside Out. Inside Out. Inside Out is wicked smart. It's a good one. It's the best Pixar movie since Up. This feels nice. Wildly original and inventive. Simply enormous fun. Ah! Brain freeze! One of Pixar's most creative films ever. He's making that stupid face again. What is it, woman? What? Disney Pixar's Inside Out, June 19th in 3D, rated PG. 
Do we match up on one? No, but this is this okay. one. This one is 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 also incredible, and I just realized that I'm aging myself with my top two picks. But <laughs> but this is this is an awesome one. Okay, all right. So we might not have any then. We'll see. All right. This is the uh, this is about the experiences of this 11 year old girl named Riley, and she's just moved from Minnesota to my neck of the woods, San Francisco, and the emotions that go along with changing schools, changing environments, and really just growing up. And we go on this journey with her by not so much following her, but by following her emotions, which are represented by five characters, joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust, and how they kind of like make her do what she's doing as a human being. You mentioned at the top that Pixar movies are made for everybody. And this one is kind of like Soul, you're, you're number three, that it's it's not just for kids. Like this is a movie geared at the parents of middle schoolers, in my opinion. It has so many lessons for parents of any age. And I still think about this movie when I'm dealing with my four-year-old who has these like incredibly insane mood swings because he's four and he doesn't know how to manage these emotions. And I have to think to myself sometimes like, hey, there are no good emotions or bad emotions. There are just emotions. Like we have to help this kid harness those emotions because he doesn't know how to. Um, The voice acting in this film is amazing. They basically raided NBC's closet. Amy Poehler, uh, Phyllis Smith, Mindy Kaling, both of whom you know from The Office, and Amy Poehler, obviously, from like Parks and Recreation and a million other things. Bill Hader, Louis Black as, I mean, he's the perfect character to have for anger. They're they're just so wonderful together. The way they they the interplay between the emotions is great. Again, extremely colorful. The world is really well realized with like the the memory balls and how all that stuff works together. The system that they have built, it's great. And I love the way that memory and those different lands that live and fade are represented. Because if I look back to my younger self, I'm sure if you look back to your younger self, there are so many of those islands that at one point existed that no longer exist in my mind because other things have taken their place or those things have just faded. Shit, you you give me one of those islands in 1998, I know for sure I'm going to have a like, WWF wrestling island. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not a place I've been for a long time. It's just kind of faded away. So really hit home for me. This one was nominated for two Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay, which it lost the spotlight. And of course, it won Best Animated Feature, beating uh, Animalisa, Boy in the World, Shaun the Sheep, and When Marnie Was There. So yeah, that's my number two, Inside Out. That's a great film. Um, And I just realized that I should have revised my list because I forgot about that (laughs) film. It is so good, and those islands, just the whole idea of it is, it, it's incredible. So I, I definitely have to agree with you on that. It's one of my favorites, and I forgot about it, so I'm a little upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You know what? I had forgotten about it, too, and I read my wife my top five list, and she's like, I'm surprised you don't have Inside Out on there. And I'm like, shit, now i got to redo it again. <laughs> all right, number two for you, A1. My number two is um, a franchise uh, film, and it's uh, Monsters, Inc. Mike, Sully, on November 2nd. Come on! It's up to them to save their world from the most dangerous monster of all. Boo! From the creators of Toy Story. Where's the kid? 
We can neither confirm nor deny the presence of a human child here. Billy Crystal. Sorry! John Goodman. On November 2nd, welcome to the world of Monsters, Inc. You little one-eyed cretin. Okay, first of all, it's cretin. If you're going to threaten me, do it properly. Monsters, for me, sums up what Pixar is about. Because Monsters reflects the inner child, you know? And it's a comedy. It's about friendship. You know, just the, the... it's very traditional in the story arc, but the duality of the worlds where they take something as trivial as how children are afraid of the closet, but actually in the closet, these monsters are collecting screams because this is how they power their city, you know, and, um, oh man, it's Mike and Sully and, you know, they're working at this power company and 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 it's all about getting numbers, you know, the, <laughs> they have their- Gotta fill up the canister. Yep, they fill up the canister. They have their nemesis, Randall, who wants to be, you know, the best scarer on the scare floor. And it's very industrial in that sense. And, you know, Sully meets a kid, you know, they call her Boo, and he realizes that it's wrong that they're scaring kids. He actually likes this little girl and kind of, you know, ends up loving her and protects her and wants to, you know, um, keep her, even though it's illegal to have a human child. Like, they're afraid. They think humans are toxic, these scary monsters. They don't think that they're monsters, but they know that children are afraid of them. So I just think that this story is so much of life from the time you're young, and it just goes into the imagination. It's almost like a kid wrote this this storyline because this is such... um a study into the mind of a child. And, you know, I remember being afraid of the dark. I remember not liking to go down into my grandma's basement when I was a little kid. I remember thinking that some closets were creepy and they just took that fear, turned it into something funny and gave us a whole new world of these funny monsters that, you know, kids around the world grew to love and you know now they're synonymous with um pixar you know and monsters university you know to come back it took them years and it was kind of a um a prelude you know they went back in time to to them in college and everything and how they actually became scarers so i mean this to me it represents, you know, Pixar at its best because it takes such a childlike idea and expands on it and just kind of blows it up. You know what I mean? And um, it, it's just one of those timeless stories that I think can it, it could have went from like a, a storybook that kids read at night, you know what I mean, with their parents. And they just kind of made it into a movie. It's just such a clever idea and a clever spin and they made an expansive world off of just a simple idea and i mean i don't know it's just one of my first pixar films but also one of the most lasting memories and i think um isn't it billy crystal plays mike um yeah he's just i mean it's billy crystal man like in a in an animated film as the voice of this character you're not gonna beat that because the comedy and the laughs that you get from this it you know are just you know 
top notch. Like it's just it's just hilarious. So um if you haven't saw Monsters, if you're on the younger side and don't know what I'm talking about, you should go see it. And you know, if you have seen it and haven't seen Monsters You, check that out. It's equally funny. So that was my number two. Great choice at number two there. This is another one that is in my honorable mentions. Uh, you mentioned Billy Crystal. He's amazing as Mike Wazowski. John Goodman is great as Sully. And uh, when you mentioned at the at the top, like Pixar movies have so much going on in the background. This movie, because it's a world made for monsters, it feels like such a well-realized world that you can pause the screen and just look at the funny things in the background that the monsters have in their world that are variations of things we have in our world that are just changed for theirs. I don't love the sequel as much as I love the original one, but it's still, it's not bad. Uh, it's just, how do you live up to Monsters, Inc.? Like they made a, a, an incredible movie that... You this uh, this is a movie that you could never make in live action. Like that's the beauty of the Pixar studios. They're making things that you couldn't do with live actors. It's amazing. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I feel the same. They they can't top the first one. The second one was yeah, it was good, but not like the first. So definitely agree with you on that. Got a real emotional ending too. Yes, man. Yes, that that, that last piece. Oh, it's amazing. Um, okay, number one, grand finales here, A1. My number one, I'm, by the way, I'm so shocked that we do not have any crossover up to this point. It's crazy. It's, I guess it just shows you how amazing Pixar is as a studio. Yes. I would be shocked if your number one wasn't a part of this franchise. All right, my number one, A1, is Toy Story 3 <laughs> from 2010. Andy's going to college. On June 18th. We all knew this day was coming. Come on, let's see how much we're going for on eBay. From Disney Pixar. Welcome to Sunnyside. In 3D. It's the biggest Toy Story ever. You got a play date with destiny. (laughs) Folks, if you want to step right this way. Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. Toy Story 3. Rated G in Disney Digital 3D and IMAX 3D. At this point, we had known Toy Story and its characters for years. The first one came out in 95, 96, somewhere around there. And Woody, Buzz, the rest of Andy's toys, they haven't been played with in years because like us, Andy's gotten older. And Andy's he's, he's about to go to college. And the gang finds themselves accidentally left at a daycare center. And the toys must band together to escape and return home to Andy. It was hard picking a Toy Story film for the list because honestly, I could have put all three on here. And at one point I had Toy Story 3 and the first Toy Story on my list. And I just, I wanted to give some shine to to some other movies. So I I left Toy Story 1 off. Shit, Toy Story 2 is even amazing. But ultimately it came down to this being the perfect ending to the trilogy. And I think four is good, but I also think four is kind of unnecessary. This was the perfect ending to the Toy Story trilogy. It hit home with me, like growing up, playing with those toys, and then eventually moving on and passing those toys down. Although, like me, I'm sure that Andy will regret it someday when he can't pass those toys down to his own kids. Great returning cast. And then you add Ned Beatty as Lotso, the the bear, who is just like a great villain, and Michael Keaton as Ken. The Ken and Barbie relationship in this movie is hilarious. It's also got, and I'm again, this is a topic that I'm surprised nobody's brought up before, and that's 
best opening scenes. And I think that this has one of the best opening scenes of any movie. It's got like this runaway train uh, scene where Woody, uh, he's trying to stop this train that's like filled with dynamite. Uh, there's a dynamite on a bridge and it's filled with these trolls that are going to get blown up. It's amazing. It is a bit darker than other Toy Story films in tone. I mean, they've all been kind of dark if you think about it, but there's a moment at the end of this movie that spells doom for the toys. And it's one of those where like you're going to be crying in the theater, especially if you have a relationship with the Toy Story series up to that point. It's it's so good. It received nominations for Best Picture, Best Picture, which is not normal for an animated film, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound Editing, and one Best Animated Feature and Best Original Song. Um, So yeah, Toy Story 3 is my number one, my favorite Pixar movie of all time. And we synced up because that was oh. my number one as well. Um, there we go. Yeah, that that film to me was the most expansive. And it also showed so many layers. It had so many layers and so many, so many ways that we think about toys. So in the onset, you know, the whole idea of Toy Story, all kids think that their toys are alive. It's just part of the imagination. You know, when you're growing up, you have this relationship with your toys. I know that I was drawn to the whole franchise because I always thought when I was a little kid, I was, you know, had a big imagination that what if my toys, you know, talked when they were, when I was gone? Like, what if they were living, you know? And as a kid, I always felt bad when a toy was mutilated or broken up. I, I hated to see that, you know, to the mm-hmm. point where I would fix and, you know, perform surgeries on my toys. So this franchise, it does all of that. Them landing in the daycare and the lesson that certain toys are not meant for all children. They were wanting to get played with, but not with baby, not with babies, you know, because there's certain <laughs> toys for babies, how the toys were hiding and stuff. And, you know, Lotso is an incredible villain. Lotso, the loving bear, <laughs> you know, he smells like strawberries and he was upset because his original owner, she, he said she left him and discarded him, but she actually forgot him. And her parents replaced him with another lot. So how many times as parents do we do that? Not thinking, you know, I've bought a million bus light years. I know that I went and and spent an exorbitant amount of money on Buzz light years for my um, middle son, Asir. That was his thing. And those things are like $50, you know, a pop. Yep. And, um, you know, an arm will get broke off or, you know, um, he'll drop it or, you know, backing out of the driveway, run over it. All types of stuff has happened to Buzz. And he would just happily get replaced. So, Lotso's plight, I completely identified with it. And it was, it was just, it showed his anger and his rage. And, you know, baby, how baby, you know, was upset when he found out the truth and he actually became an ally to the other toys. And, you know, you seen baby was like abused from the little kids. He had tattoos. They wrote all over him, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's so much in Toy Story 3. And that end scene, the, the, the ending, you know, in the dump. You think somebody's going to go. You think somebody's not going to return. Um, I'm glad they all pulled through because that was hard for me. So this film, 
is everything that we love about Pixar, and I think it's the best of the franchise, and it does make Toy Story 4 unnecessary. They could have stopped here. I would have been extremely happy. They, it, you know, in fact, they would have had a perfect run had they not done four and went straight into light year. Yeah, I agree. I liked four, but I didn't love four like I love number three. It just it felt unnecessary. Yeah, it, it, it certainly did. It certainly did. And, you know, it's hard to walk away from such a great story. And I think that they, the studio felt like they had a little more like life after you know, um, Andy goes to college, like what happens after the toys are kind of on their own What after the daycare and, you know, they're with Bonnie and everything. And that's great. And I, and I, I get it, but I think Andy had been a part of everything and we saw him go to college. That was the end for me. So I, I completely agree, but yeah, we connected on number one. I don't think that um, they can top that movie. If they top Toy Story 3 um, with another film, it, it probably is going to win so many <laughs> awards because that this, this film is just, it was, first, it was beautiful. The daycare is so expansive. Just, we, we're familiar with Toy Story, but we're familiar with Andy's house. We're limited to his house, the next door neighbors. We're limited to his block. Going all the way to a daycare. Is you know the dump now you're seeing different places in the city that Andy lives in, and I mean it's 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 beautiful. I tip my hat to them for that one. So it's dope that we had the same number one. See, I figured we would sync up because you know Pixar's universal. Indeed. All right, I'm gonna run down my five real quick, and then maybe you can run yours back just to give people a reminder of what we chose. So at number five, I had Luca from 2021. At number four, I had Finding Nemo. At number three, I had Coco. At number two, I had Inside Out. And of course, at number one, Toy Story 3. And uh, what were your five one more time? Sure. At five, I had The Incredibles. At four, I had Up. At three, I had Soul. At two, Monsters, Inc. And number one, Toy Story 3. Great number one. Um, Now, we... Had some honorable mentions. Like I said, I I, uh, switched my list up many times. Did you have any honorable mentions that we haven't talked about yet? Um, Actually, no. Actually, you spoke about both my honorable mentions. My honorable mentions were Coco and Luca. Um, Yeah, Coco, amazing film. Um, It should have been on my list, but as with the films that I had, I had a hard time removing something. And Luca was another one. And I, I... I really had a, I was really wrestling with Ratatouille, had a real Mm. hard time Mm -hmm. about that one. That was really difficult for me. Um, but you know, I, I found that the stories in, um, Luca and Coco just hit and touched more of the heart where Ratatouille was just straight out the imagination and super funny. I, I loved it, but yeah, Coco and Luca pull at the heartstrings. And again, they just shot so beautifully. I mean, Coco, half of it is like in Technicolor, you know, so yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing. All right. I had a, I had a couple that we didn't mention. Well, Ratatouille, you, you just mentioned that was on my honorable mentions. Up was on there, Monsters, Inc. The Toy Story 1, which I already talked about. I mean, shit, Toy Story 2 as well. But Wally is one that was on my list again. At one point, it was on my list and I had to take it off. Just a really beautiful movie. And um, Incredibles 2. I don't think it's enough credit. I think that's an amazing movie. And uh, 
It's got another interesting like perspective on the state of parents working. You know, you have the the dad who's like feels really bummed because he is staying at home with the kids and his wife is out there saving the world and he wants to be out there saving the world. But at the same time, like he's doing a really great thing by just being the dad at home. And I, I always thought that was kind of like a really cool perspective on the Incredibles universe. Yes. And and another thing that they did in Incredibles 2 was they upped the ante on the styling. Yeah. The styling was just even, it went even further. So again, you know, they people paid attention to the styling of Incredibles 1. They upped the ante on the styling on Incredibles 2. So I thought that, you know, uh, a great film and just done extremely well. 100%. A1, amazing list. We've got nine Pixar films together that people need to go and check out. If you haven't seen them, I mean, they're all available on Disney+. Plus. Just get Disney+, Plus, even if it's for a month, and just watch all these movies that you can. A1, uh, we, wanna, we want people to go and check out these vinyls that are coming out. Where do people need to go to check out these vinyls and, and pick them up a piece of history? Oh, thank you. Absolutely. People can go to don'tsleeprecords.com. Don'tsleeprecords.com is our own site. I understand that people like to use sites like Bandcamp and other platforms. So it's fine if you want to use that, but we would prefer if you go to don'tsleeprecords.com because we're really trying to establish our own, you know, digital retail space, um, you know, as we're independent artists, I think it's important to have that digital real estate that you own your own domain and, you know, it costs money. So please use the website. And, um, if you're not comfortable with that and you prefer Bandcamp, don't sleep records.bandcamp.com for all my international folks. Um, we have several partners overseas in Europe. Um, we have HHV in Germany, Vinyl Digital in Germany, Concerto in um, Amsterdam, and uh, we have a few like Rap Vinyl in um, Switzerland and a couple more stores. I, I forget the pronunciation of them because they're in other languages, but um, we have stores across the pond. So you don't have to get them directly from us if if shipping is um, at at the um cusp of your decision because shipping costs are exorbitant so i i get it and um trust me you're still supporting us if you buy from another store but for all the u.s guys in in america come to don'tsleeprecords.com um pick up some merchandise a hoodie a cap t-shirt vinyl while you're at it and um we appreciate su your support yeah the logo's tight like Jump on there and, and check out that hoodie. You're you're going to leave with one. I'm going to put the link to Don't Sleep Records in the show notes. So go ahead and just click that link. You're going to see these vinyls. They're not just like plain black vinyls. These things are amazingly colored vinyls. The uh, Soul Dope 95 record is... is um, it's green, right? The Infinite Wisdom? Yes, uh, it's green. And we, we chose that contrast because the uh, cover is um, in um, black and white in that high high um, contrast because we worked with the um, abstract artist Dathan Kane um, on that cover. Um, so we wanted to add a splash of color and we thought that the green was a great modern touch and a great way to break up the traditional black and white that the um, album cover is in. So yeah, we, um, we, I really enjoyed the design on that one and the way that it looks, it looks so 
crispy, so clean, so old, but so new. It's, it's, it's the right balance for us. It's definitely don't sleep. Links to everything Force 5 and A1 are in the show notes. Links, social media, all that stuff. Go buy a vinyl. I'm making it easy for you to support me, for you to support A1. And a shout out to those who support me. Executive producers on this episode include Peter Beta from the Middle Class Film Class podcast. Go listen. Musa Mahmood, Rupert Bumblestein, Bumblestein, Ryan Golan of the New World Pictures podcast, another fantastic show, another past guest. Go check that out. And of course, Carlos Mota. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to be a producer on the show, head to patreon.com backslash force five. You can sign up for as little as two bucks a month. Can't spare two bucks a month? Hey, that's okay. I still got a way for you to support. Takes just two minutes to review the Force 5 podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends about the show. Those two very free, very simple things really help me out. Theme songs today come from Nate Spears, and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some Pixar films. Oh, 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 oh,